tell them we are called to the lost. <laughs> Amen. Let us go now to John chapter number 12, verse 30. We discovered that Jesus the Christ redeemed us. Someone shout, I am redeemed. In fact, that's what the Bible says. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And last week, we discovered that he redeemed us from sickness. Someone shout, I'm redeemed <coughs> from all sickness. Uh, we also discovered that Jesus Christ redeemed us from sin. Someone shout, I am redeemed from sin. We also discovered that Jesus the Christ redeemed us from the curse. Someone shout, I'm blessed and not cursed. And we are also going to discover that he has redeemed us from poverty. Amen. Jesus redeemed us from poverty. Now, let's go to John chapter number 12 uh, from verse 30 to 33. Sin was an issue between God and man. Amen. And Jesus came to be the answer. You could put it this way. Sin was the question. And Jesus was the answer to that question. The Bible says in John chapter number 12 from verse 30 to 33, Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me. But for your sake, now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Amen? Do you see where Jesus is going with this? He says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is he talking about? He's talking about displacing Satan from his place as the prince of the world. Do you see it? So he's basically driving towards the cross. And I say this because the next verse is going to be critical uh, uh, for you to understand the next verse. You need to understand this context. Because it's been misused a lot of times in the church to mean something else that Jesus wasn't even talking about. Now watch what he says in verse 32. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, and if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Wrong translation. Now, if you're reading in the New King James Bible, you will see the word peoples is italicized. Or the word all is italicized, all men. Did you see it? Hallelujah. (laughs) That word peoples is italicized. Jesus is not talking about evangelism. You know, a lot of people think, all we have to do is lift up Jesus and he will draw all men. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying there is a judgment that's supposed to go to the world for you. God has released his wrath. He has released his judgment towards the world. And Jesus says, but if I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, I will draw all. Someone say all. Jesus is saying, I will draw all judgment to myself. That is what he's talking about. He's saying, I'm going to draw all judgment pertaining to your sin. For the wages of sin is what? Death. So you don't have to die because the penalty is now gone to Jesus. Because he drew all judgment. For your sickness, he drew all judgment. Amen? So God has no issue with man. Sin is no longer an issue with man. Amen? Because Jesus paid the price. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 2 verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation of our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. What does that mean? That means Jesus paid the price for sin. 
And we have to receive that price. We have to put our confidence and our trust in that price. And guess what? Man, God is not... Hunch your neighbor and tell them God does not have beef with you. Tell them he doesn't even have a bone to chew with you. Listen, this is the issue. When Jesus drew all judgment... Peace came to the earth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 from 17 to 18, now God has been reconciled to us. In other words, God is now open for a relationship with us. And not only that, it says in Hebrews 4.16, let us now therefore go boldly into the throne room of grace where we can obtain help in times of need. God is no longer separated with us because of sin. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. Now watch what it says, just to bring context. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. I don't know how we missed it. It tells you why he said, if I be lifted up. Did you see it? It says, this he said, signifying the death. The payment on the cross. So he is not saying, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men. He's saying, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all judgment to myself. And he got lifted up and drew all judgment to himself. Let us go now to my favorite scripture. Absolute favorite. I was at the barber shop yesterday getting a haircut. And my barber said, you know, why are you getting a haircut? I said, because tomorrow is church. He said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, man, you want to look fresh for church? I said, yeah. So barbershops know everything. If you don't know anything about barbershops, they know. So he starts talking to me. He said, so what's your favorite book in the Bible? I said, oh, man, I've never thought about it. I said, what's yours? And he says, oh, man, the other one called Tessalia. I said, Tessalia? He said, yeah, yeah. It's got one, two, and three. I mean, and this guy was confident. He's like, I said, Thessalonians? He said, yeah, that one. And then he starts quoting in Thessalonians. He said, First Thessalonians chapter 16, verse 27. And I mean, this guy is coming up with stuff. And I'm just sitting there laughing. I'm like, man, this guy is passionate, but... No, 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 don't go there. Romans chapter number 5, verse 15. Let's read this in the... Uh, 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 message Bible. Read, let's read this in the Message Bible. Man, this, I'm not even going to preach from it. I'm just going to read it and I want you to catch what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, let the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God, talking about Adam, just think of what God's gift poured through one man Jesus Christ will do. There is no comparison. Someone shout, there is no comparison. He says there is no comparison between the death dealing sin and this generous life giving gift. The verdict on that one, on that one sin was the death sentence. That was the verdict. Supposed to come in, this verdict was supposed to come to you. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly, someone say wildly, extravagant, someone say extravagant, He says, wildly extravagant life gift 
talking about Jesus. This grand setting everything right. The one man Jesus Christ provides. Now verse 18. Here it is in a nutshell. Now he's breaking it down for you. Just as one man did it wrong and got us all in this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. He's saying this issue did not have anything to do with you. You became a sinner. You carried a sin nature because of the wrongdoing of one man, Adam. And your righteousness also came because of the right doing of one man, Jesus the Christ. Do you see it? Man, you ain't even a part of it. So when you try to become a part of it, you're going to mess it up. Amen? Watch what he says. Another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. Man, that's awesome. Man, I would have been glad just being released from prison. From being the slave of sin. But not only did he get us out of prison, he gave us life. He empowered us to live above sin. Most people that think when we teach grace, we are giving people a license to sin, don't even understand what grace is about. The Bible says in Titus 2, from verse 11 to 12, it says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching them. Someone say teaching them. That's verse 12. It says teaching them to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. When you understand grace in its true context, you deny sin and lust of the world. In fact, it empowers you to not even have a, 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 a taste, a taste bud for sin. Amen? Now watch what he says. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right with God. Man, that's awesome. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, verse 21. Man, God does not have an issue with you. When you put your trust and your confidence in Christ. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, verse 21. I want you to see the divine exchange. Watch what it says. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us. Where? On the cross. Remember, all judgment he drew to himself. Amen? That's what he's talking about here. He said he made him who knew no sin. Who might that be? Jesus. To become sin for us. It wasn't for himself. So Jesus did it for you. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So there was a divine exchange on the cross. Jesus took your sin and you received the righteousness of God in the cross. Watch what he says in uh, Ephesians chapter number 2 verse 8. Man, if you want to be delivered from the dominion of sin, you're going to have to understand grace. If you want to be delivered from the dominion of sickness, you're going to have to understand grace. If you want to be delivered from the dominion of poverty, you're going to have to understand grace. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 4.18? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The first class of people he brought the good news or the gospel to were poor folk. And he did something about it on the cross. Being poor is not spiritual. Okay, we'll show it to you. (laughs) Ephesians chapter number 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace, someone say by grace. grace. 
And it's all by grace. It's all by His unmerited, unearned favor. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift. Someone say it's a gift. How many of you have ever received a gift? How many of you have ever had to pay for your gift? Someone like, you know, I want to buy you an iPad for Christmas. But there's a little problem. You have to pay for it. It's not a gift, right? Notice what he says here. He says, by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. The word sozo. God gave it to us as a gift. And we have to accept the gift or reject the gift. Romans chapter number 6. From verse 12 to 18. Does it mean, Pastor T, you know, it's all by grace. Now I can live in sin? No. Sin is stupid. Sin is dumb. <laughs> Let me just break it down for you. Sin, actually, the root for all sin is, is a lack of trust in God. The only reason why people sin is because they don't trust God. They don't trust that what he says in his word for them is true. And it's right. And they don't let the grace, the gift of righteousness, empower them to live above sin in their lives. Sin, man, sin will make you pay more than you can afford to pay. Sin will keep you longer than you're willing to stay. Sin will take you further than you're willing to go. It always messes up your life. Amen? Does it mean when you sin, God is going to have beef with you? No. Why? Because all judgment has been drawn on Jesus. But guess what? It may have effects on how you perceive God. God will not change the way he sees you because he sees you through Jesus. But it may change the way you see God. You know why? Because sin makes numb of your heart. You know, when I used to do uh, karate, we used to do press-ups. And all the guys would boast of having dead cells on their knuckles. Like, man, look at my dead cells. Because if I punch you in the face, I won't feel anything. That's what it does. You know those calluses? That's what it does to your heart. You become uh, uh, insensitive to God's word and instruction. That's what sin will do. It will, will it change the way God sees you? No, it won't. But it will certainly change the way you relate with God. Amen? Now watch what it says in Romans. 6, 12 to 18. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Watch what it says. Romans 6, 18. Romans 6, verse 12. Please. Romans 6, verse 12. Watch what it says. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. The only group of people that he can give this instruction to are born-again believers who have received a gift of righteousness. If you have, if you're not born again, the Bible describes it in the book of Ephesians as being dead in your trespasses. You are a sinner. Not because of what you're doing, but because of your nature. So it doesn't matter what you do, sin has dominion over you. But when you become a believer, you receive the gift of righteousness. Now, you can let sin control you or not control you. And here, he gives it as, a, as an imperative, as a, as a commandment. Don't do it. Do not let sin control the way you live. 
Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. See, before you got born again, sin was your master. In other words, sin told you what to do. Watch what it says. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set you free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you recognize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to what? Or you can choose. Someone say choose. Man, the choice is yours. To obey or not to obey, that's the question. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching. We have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. And you have become slaves to righteous living. Amen? Amen. So that, that, that just goes to show you that we have re- been redeemed from sin. And God has given us righteousness as a gift. And if you're going to live holy, you need to receive this righteousness as a gift. Amen? Right. And not try to earn it. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse 9. You were redeemed from sin. Now, let's look at how Jesus redeemed you from poverty. Thank you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? I didn't hear that. Jesus Christ was what? Jesus Christ wasn't broke. You know, for those that believe, you know, it's spiritual to be poor. Look, Jesus, though he was what? Did you see it? Though he was rich. And we discovered last week that he only got bankrupted when he was on the cross, right? At what point did the sin go into his body? If I be lifted up on the earth, when? On the cross. So he only became sin Where? On the cross. We discovered again last week that he only became the curse. Where? On the cross. Because cursed is anything that anyone that hangs on the tree. It's the same thing. He only became poor momentarily on the cross. A lot of people think he lived his life, earthly life, ministry, poor. No, he wasn't. He was only bankrupted at the cross for your sake. He did it for a reason. Watch what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, R-I-C-H, rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might, might. Someone say might. See, that word might amplifies or, or, or reveals potential. Now the choice is yours. Notice he didn't say, uh, so that you, through his poverty, everybody is now going to become... No, no. So that you might, if you want to. 
Because there are some people who don't want it. He says, so that you might become rich. So Jesus bankrupted himself and became poor on the cross for a reason. So that there could be a divine exchange between us and him. Amen? Amen. He wants you to be rich materially as well. He wants you to be prosperous. You know, uh, Pastor Tate, uh, uh, Pastor Henry, I usually do this with them. I took them to uh, one of the mega churches in our community on Tuesday, and I just, you know, asked uh, one of my friends who works there to give us a tour, you know, and she was uh, taking us around and showing us this building. And man, I, I, that, that week I was meditating on God's prosperity and just, just going in, Psalms 112. We're going to read it just now. And, and, and this lady started telling us, she said, oh, this piece of land that we are on, uh, we got given by someone. How many of you realize that that person had to be prosperous to give the church a piece of land? Because poor folk don't have any land. Amen? And this is a big piece of property. And beyond that, I asked, I said, so how much is this building worth? And she said to me, uh, she said it's worth about uh, uh, 60 million, 60 million rand. And uh, I, said, I said, 60 million rand? She said, yes. I said, how did you do it? She said, oh, we raised 50 million rand cash from the congregation. Mm. <laughs> I should never say, we can't do this poor. No, 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 no. Tell them the vision is too big for you to stay broke. She said we raised 50. Aren't you even tell them 50? Not 10. 50. I said, where did you get the other 10? She said, oh, we got the other 10 from the bank and we paid it off last week. So we own this place 100%. So nobody can tell us what to do. They can't tell us about volume. They can't tell us where we can come. They can't tell us where we can go. In fact, we've opened up a 24-hour prayer room. You can't do stuff like that when you're broke. Because our landlord will ask for. You can't just come to Eagle's Nest for prayer. Like, you know, 24 hours. No, no. You only come. For the time we have paid for. Don't you never say, man, are you following what he's saying? Tell them you can't be poor. Because the vision is too big. I turned around and I looked at uh, Pastor Tate and Pastor Henry and I said, man, that's doable. That's just five million U.S. dollars. Man, we can do it. This is just five million U.S. dollars. And God can bring it. How do I know that? Go with me to Psalms 112. Expand your vision. You're going to have to think big about you and ultimately think big about his kingdom. Primarily, in fact, think big about his kingdom and ultimately think big about yourself. Psalms 112. See, Psalms 112 talks about the spiritual man. It talks about you. How many of you would like to be spiritual? Psalms 112 is is for you if you want to be spiritual. 
But here's where it starts. Psalms 112 starts in Psalms 111. You remember when we uh, uh, did the series, we started off in 1 John, where it said we love because He first loved us. And it's the same thing. Everything that we do as a righteous man, as a spiritual man, starts with God. The true qualities of a spiritual being, of a righteous man, revealed in Psalm 112, starts with God in 111. In fact, let's go to 111 from verse 5 in the New Living Translation. Psalms 111, verse 5. Watch what it says. This is God. He has given, He gives food to those who fear Him. Who? God. In other words, God is generous. He always remembers His covenant. He always remembers His word. Next verse. He has shown His great power to His people by what? This is God. He has shown His great power to His people by giving them the lands of other nations. Next verse. All he does is just and what? And all his commandments are what? Trustworthy. He's talking about God. This is the true nature of God. Next verse. They are forever true. To be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. Next verse. He has paid a full Ransom for his people is prophesying now to what happened on the cross. Do you see it? He says God has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them when? Forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. Someone shout, this is our God. Now watch what this translates to. Go with me to the next verse, next chapter. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Uh, In the uh, uh, original translation in the Hebrew, it says, How joyful are those who are righteous in the Lord. How many have been made righteous by Jesus? So, your your fruit for the righteousness is joy. You know, People think Christianity is this whole sad thing that, you know, just going through life and just, oh, pitiful, just, oh, man, or just struggles. No, no, no. How joyful are those who fear the Lord? Or how joyful are those who reverence the Lord? The word fear there is not fright. It's honor. It's reverence. He says, how joyful are those who reverence or fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commandments or His word. See, righteous people delight in obeying God's word. Amen? Now, watch what happens to this man. Their children will be what? I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. This is the fruit of you. Becoming righteous in Jesus. It it falls over to your children. The greatest gift you can give towards your posterity. 
the future, the future generations that are going to come out of you is to connect to the righteousness of God. He says their children will be successful everywhere. In fact, this is the prayer I pray over my kids. Just yesterday, I was taking Munesu swimming, and I was praying over her. I said, based on Psalm 112, this girl enjoys swimming, and she's successful at it. Now, if you don't know what I'm doing, let me give you a little preview or insight. This girl did not like swimming at all. In fact, whenever there's a kid who doesn't like swimming, they bring her over to Munesu, and they say, you see this girl here swimming like a dolphin? She was worse than your kid. So there's hope. And she, she would see that swimming pool. And man, she would start crying. She would just, man, I'm not going in there. For two years. And I would have to put up with it. Praying this over here. My kids are successful everywhere. Whether in the swimming pool or at school or, or wherever they go. Hey, they are successful. Why? Because it's a promise that I'm given by Psalm 112. So what do I do? I pray it over them. I claim the promise for myself. Amen? And now she enjoys it. And about Wednesday, she starts asking, is tomorrow swimming? Thursday is tomorrow. Man, I'm looking forward to it. What happened? I claimed the promise. Man, you need to claim this promise for your posterity. For the future generations that are coming out of you. Amen? It says their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Next verse. They themselves will be what? I didn't hear that. Man, it even goes beyond riches. See, they themselves, those that reverence God, those that are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, they themselves will be wealthy as a fruit of who they are. Man, you can fight it. It's not my idea. I'm not coming up with it. Is this in your Bible? What does it say in your Bible? What does it say in your Bible? It says, they themselves will be wealthy. Or they will be mighty on the earth. What is he talking about? He's talking about influence. What does he say? Oh, man, he even doubled up on it. He says, wealth and riches shall be in his house. They themselves shall be wealthy. Their good deeds will last forever. How many of you know that that person who gave that land to that church, that good deed will last forever? See, so when he says their good deeds will last forever, he's talking about another dimension of influence. It's all right to give 10 rand to the car guard. But, you know, there's, there's levels. Aren't you levels? There's levels. There's levels. There's levels. It says their good deeds will last forever. You know, it's all right to give someone a lift to church. But, you know, their levels. He gave a piece of land and they're still talking about it today. Listen, they're going to be a part of that story as long as that building stands. Why? Because wealth and riches are in their house. Oh, man. It says wealth and riches are in their what? House. In his house. It didn't say wealth and riches is in the house they rent. Did you see it? It didn't say that. It says wealth and riches, so they own properties. 
They own properties to put the wealth and the riches in. Man, that's awesome. Next verse. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are what? Wait, I wonder where they learn uh, uh, this, this, this thing from, this, this generosity. I wonder where they got it from. Remember Psalm 111? It says, he's the one who gives food. And all they are doing is reflecting their father. All they are doing is become generous because he first is generous for them. So as a fruit... Light shines in the darkness for the godly. In other words, man, God just guides their discretion. I think that's what it says in the King James Bible. It says they, 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 he guides, guides their affairs with discretion. And not only that, they are generous. Someone say generous. <laughs> compassionate. Someone say compassionate. And righteous. These are the qualities God has given to them. Next verse. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Amen? I mean, this generous thing keeps coming back. You know why? Because God is the most generous being there is, and he has imparted that generosity spirit on the righteous. Wherever they go, they carry it. Next verse. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Remember, they have dominion over sin. So sin does not control them. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Next verse. That is awesome. They do not fear bad news. Notice it didn't say bad news does not come to them. When it comes, they don't panic. Their foundation is anchored in the Lord. When they get bad news, okay, well, that's just bad. They they don't panic. You know why? Because their trust is in God. Amen? They do not fear bad news. They confidently, someone say confidently, trust the Lord to care for them. So they put their 100% trust in God, and when bad news comes, oh, whatever. And that's awesome. Next verse. They are confident and fearless. And face their force triumphantly. Next verse. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Man, on this description of the righteous, this generosity thing keeps popping up. Do you see it? It keeps coming back. I think this is the third or the fourth time we've read it as a fruit, as their description. This is one of the ways... You can check to see if someone has fully grasped the message of the gospel. Check their generosity level. Hallelujah! Not only is wealth and riches in their house, they themselves are generous to the power three, at least for now. I don't know if it's going to come back again. They're generous. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Times three. Man, this person can't be erased from the history of the earth. Because of their generosity. Amen? Next verse. They will have influence. Someone shout, I have influence. And honor. Man, I want to be a part of the story. I want to be a part of the story for this nation. 
Yeah, when I'm gone, I can't just show up and just, you know, be like uh, another person. Man, I, when I show up, I need to leave a, 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 an, an imprint that cannot be easily erased. I've got to do something. That when I'm gone, they'll say, oh, there was another guy who was crazy about the gospel, and this is what he did in the earth. Amen? What is that? Influence. It's a part of what Jesus paid for for you. It's a part of the package. It's a part of the description that you receive as the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? They will have influence and honor. Next verse. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. In other words, they will be haters. It's going to be haters. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said, uh, um, uh, whoever gives uh, houses, whoever gives uh, lands, whoever gives brothers and sisters uh, will receive a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come, uh, uh, eternal life, with persecution. That word persecution just means opposition from men. It does not mean sickness, because that, that's already been taken care of. It does not mean poverty. Oh, man, I, I'm just going through life being poor. What are you doing? I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You are just not taking advantage of what Jesus has already paid for. Persecution is when you have opposition. When you have haters. And when you start walking in this kind of description, this kind of fruit, you will have opposition. Amen? I said, Amen. Amen. Say, the wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away and their hopes thwarted. This is the people that are not saved, that are just looking at what God is doing in your life as, a, as, as the righteous man, the righteous woman that Jesus declared you on the cross. Man, God has delivered you from poverty. He's delivered you from being poor. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to respond by faith? And uh, ladies, he taught an awesome, awesome, awesome message befitting what we're talking about this morning. The way to connect to that grace is through generosity. Man, when you open doors for others, God will begin to open doors for you. I think it was uh, Pastor Henry last week, he was talking about golden connectors. He was talking about giving people jobs. He was talking about doing all kinds of stuff. And just last Friday, I got a call from one person who has put me on every platform they possibly can. And they were a part of the TBN story, you know, to get us onto it. And they said to me, yo, T, they've offered me a job on this great platform. And I'm going to be the director, watch this, of content. I said, man, that's awesome. I said, does that mean I can also be on that platform? And here's what they say. They said, I'm going to come to your house and we can have lunch discussing it. Now we're making decisions for the platform in my crib. Man, that's awesome. This is why, man, I should even tell them, this is why you should honor the relationships that God brings in your life. And you need to honor the people that God brings to you. Because God will open doors of opportunity through them. Amen? 
He will use people to open doors of opportunity that you never would have opened for yourself. Amen? So he says, the, 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 the righteous God, man, God wants you to be prospered financially. He wants you to be prospered physically. God wants you to be prospered emotionally. He wants you to be rich in every sphere of your life. And I know some of you, your softwares, your computers in your head right now is tilting. You know, it's tilting. Because this is not what you heard. This is not what the preacher said to you. But here over here, it's not the preacher, it's the Bible. All I'm doing is just reading what the Word is saying. God has taken the struggle out of life through what He did on the cross. And we need to receive it and start walking in it. And I'm telling you, I walked into this church building and I was like, man, this is possible with God. In fact, I could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to me clearly. And he said, that's just five million U.S. dollars, Tafara. It's not much. Don't look at it like 60 million rand. It's just five million U.S. dollars. In fact, I know a man, he pointed me to a man uh, that I used to uh, visit. My wife and I, we used to visit him. He lives in San Diego. He lives in a house that costs 10 million U.S. dollars. Immediately, the Holy Spirit pointed me to his house. And he said, man, all of this is just half of his house. And it's only a four-bedroom house. Doesn't even have a garden. It's got a beautiful view. Someone shout, that's just change. And that's the mindset you need to have without God. It's just change. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He says in Psalm 51, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. Why? Because I own everything. He says, silver and gold is mine. And the latter glory shall be greater than the former glory. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, he was so infuriated because there was a church in Dallas. Uh, uh, they were building a new building and it was going to cost, I think, about 200 million U.S. dollars. And he was infuriated. And in the same breath, he started, you know, uh, 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 just complimenting the St. Peter's Basilica. But is that what it's called? Basilica. In the same breath. And I said, I wonder how much St. Peter's Basilica cost. Probably way above 200 million. But because you have a mindset of scarcity, you look at another man's, you start counting another man's money. You start saying, oh, they shouldn't be using that money for that. What are you doing with... Yeah. Amen. And God doesn't have a problem with his children going to a comfortable building and worshiping. He doesn't have a problem with that. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do that by you and me responding by faith to what he did on the cross. And start taking full advantage of it. Why don't you stand on your feet? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. Lord, we thank you for the victory on the cross. Father, Father, we thank you this morning that we are the righteousness. You became poor so that us, through that poverty, might receive prosperity, might become rich. Lord, I thank you 